Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Shut up and sit down. Hello and welcome back to Fourth Down Focus, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. I am Dan Lundy, host of the podcast and founder of Fourth Down University a company focused on the training and development of kickers, punters, snappers, and coaches. We're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron, and what a start it's been to this football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all NFL and college football action this fall. With a new website and even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website betsonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That is double your initial deposit just for signing up. And don't forget to use promo code NFL100. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports action. Episode 49 of the podcast welcomes Tom Sylvester, a career law enforcement professional of more than 16 years experience who served at the local and federal levels. Sylvester is currently serving as a federal agent with the United States Postal Inspection Service. Tom, it is a pleasure to have you on my show. How are you doing today? I'm great, Lundy. Thanks for having me, man. I'm I'm honored you reached out to me to do this. Uh, I love what you've been doing with the podcast and noticed you had some great guests, including some guys we both know, like DJ Wingate and Rico and Freddie Capshaw. Um, So I'm not sure I can live up to the standard set by those guys, but I'm honored to be here nonetheless. Yeah, I didn't mention yet. Tom is a like a big brother to me. I transferred. I went to a school called Seabreeze High School in Daytona Beach, and um, I don't want to throw punches, but we were pretty irrelevant in football, and I was God-given uh, with an ability to kick, and I wanted to use my leg more. I wanted to score more points. I wanted action. I wanted to play good teams. I wanted to be seen, so I transferred to Mainland High School, and unfortunately, I didn't get to play with Tom Sylvester, but when I got to Mainland as a junior in the spring, you know, he took me under his wing. He showed me where the football facility was and who the coaches to talk to were to get weights and swag and and just whatever, like the good teachers to take on campus. And I, I'm forever grateful for Tom. And that started a long relationship, you know, when he went to college, which we'll go into, we kept in touch. And uh, we actually hung out in college because we, we actually ended up in the same town or neighboring towns in college. So life's cool. And I'm really proud of you, Tom. And I cannot wait to tell your story because you had a goal uh, in high school when I first met you. You know, initially it was, I want to, I want to be in law enforcement. I want to work for the sheriff's office, but it's neat that you just kept going. And we talk on this show all the time about complacency and how it's my least favorite word. And I think that you're someone that doesn't even know what that means. Like you're always looking forward and you're okay with failure because you know, failing is the fastest way forward. So um, again, I'm excited. So let's get right into it. Um, I learned a lot in pre-recording the other day with you about what the heck you do. And I think it's absolutely fascinating. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm very, very into like forensics and I watch those like YouTube uh, interrogation uh, samples and, and uh, nonverbal communication. And you've been immersed in this for a long time. So could you first start off by sharing your role as a pollster inspector and the history behind the Postal Inspection Service Agency? Yeah, so we're the federal, oldest federal law enforcement agency and actually predate the country itself. <laughs> we were known for a long time as a silent service, uh, and so a lot of people hadn't heard of us. 
but our agency is trying to change that. And we do a lot of outreach, consumer protection and the like uh, to do that. Uh, ben Franklin was the first postmaster general of the United States, and he actually appointed the first surveyor in 1775, which is the predecessor to the current day postal inspector uh, and the birth date of our agency back in 1775. And today we have, it fluctuates between 1400, about 1400 postal inspectors worldwide. It depends on retirements and when we can hire people. Uh, most of those inspectors are stationed in the United States, the continental United States, but we do have inspectors in countries in Europe, in Jamaica, and the U.S. territories. Uh, we're federal law enforcement criminal investigators, like many other federal agencies, but our authority consists of enforcing postal service and U.S. mail statutes. We investigate crimes related to the mail or the postal service itself. And our number one mission is to protect postal assets, employees, and customers. Uh, some of the cases we work, uh, robbery of postal employees or, and facilities, burglaries of postal facilities, theft, theft of postal assets, assaults of postal employees, narcotics, money laundering, mail theft, mail fraud, child pornography, uh, cyber crimes. And we also protect the postmaster general. We run his protection detail. Uh, we have our own, it's funny you mentioned the forensics part, because we have our own world-class crime lab in Washington, D.C. to support our investigations, and I use them regularly in my cases, and they are phenomenal. They can do some amazing things, and uh, one of our main agency missions is consumer protection. We do a lot of consumer outreach as it relates to frauds and, and scams. And there's a lot of resources on our website, which I'll give at the end if, if anybody ever needs any of those resources or needs to contact our agency uh, with postal-related crimes or in, uh, things of interest. Uh, interesting cases over the years that you got that some of your audience may have heard of but may not have been aware that postal inspectors work those cases are things like, you know, we interviewed Billy the Kid for robbery. Uh, we investigated Charles Ponzi, who's the father of the Ponzi scheme, which you hear uh, quite often about these days. We interviewed Lee Harvey Oswald minutes before he was shot and killed because he ordered his rifle to assassinate the president through the mail. Uh, Jim Baker was a televangelist who committed a lot of fraud that we arrested. And uh, one of the most famous cases would be the Unabomber investigation. That was a 17-year investigation that we were involved in. We also investigated the anthrax letters back in 2001, shortly after 9-11. And one of our inspectors actually became ill during that investigation from being uh, involved with the substance. Uh, he, he recovered and uh, recently retired. It's actually an inspector I work with here in our Washington division, a really good guy. So our, our, our history is uh, long and varied um, and storied. And we actually have a Smithsonian exhibit in the National Postal Museum in Washington, D.C. Uh, my main assignment is narcotics and money laundering. Uh, but I also, I'm in a small office, so I also work robbery, burglary, assaults, and dangerous mail investigations, which is our program that came out of those anthrax attacks back in 2001. We, all, we now have inspectors trained to investigate those types of cases. Again, and this was what I learned in pre-recording. And I was like, wow, I thought 
<laughs> you had a few pieces of envelopes or whatever that you sifted through. Uh, not, I didn't, but what, what my point is, is, is you're a hero, man. And I had a, a Marine on last week and I kind of kept the theme going because of September 11th, but I wanted like first responders and people that we, we take for granted, not that we take for granted, but we just don't realize the liberties we have and the freedom we, we can move about the country and send things without, without worry, you know, without worry of a bomb. And it's, it's wild to think how many people are behind the scenes to ensure that these liberties are actually existing. Right. Um, there are so many people and I, I want to go right into the, the competitive nature of what you're doing. Uh, this is not something that a lot of people have the opportunity to involve. I mean, I, and, and obviously they're very selective and the background checks extensive and you need a, you need a significant, I looked on the website last night, um, cause I wanted to see if I wanted to be an applicant and here's a cool fact in 2019, there were approximately 1200 authorized post inspectors in the U S and you mentioned there's probably 1400 total globally. Well, if you do the math with the 1200 in 2019, 1200 out of 333 million to 338 million is what they're thinking we are right now. I think if that's correct, but regardless, not very many people. And last night when I checked the site, there were zero applicants they were taking or even considering. So needless to say, this is a competitive field. Can you explain how football helped you compete in the professional world and ultimately living your dream of serving our country as a federal agent? Yeah. So becoming a criminal investigator at any federal agency is extremely competitive. You're talking about 700,000 law enforcement officers in the entire U.S. That's all levels of law enforcement. Best estimate is maybe 5% of those positions are criminal, federal criminal investigators with agencies such as ours, the FBI, the Secret Service, DEA, et cetera. Uh, so, and we're one of the smaller, like you mentioned, we're one of the smaller agencies out of those as well. I think the FBI has like 13,000 agents nationwide. So, we're one of the smaller ones. It's, it's definitely difficult to get into. Uh, some of the lessons I, that I learned from football that helped me in my career have been a lot of the time just the basics. Be early. If you're on time, you're late. Um, a lot of our coaches <laughs> used to tell us that. Be accountable for yourself and be accountable to your team. Um, compete and overcome adversity. Things are going to go wrong. You got to overcome that and do things the right way. Uh, attention to detail with what you're doing. And one funny, one story that stands out to me uh, is from my days at FAU. And I don't know if I've ever told you this story or not. I probably did. I probably complained at the time. But uh, if our practice <laughs> wasn't going well, we could be halfway through practice and Coach Nellenberger come out and bring us all in and give us a butt chewing. And then he'd, he'd tell the uh, equipment manager to blow the horn and reset the clock, and we'd start practice all over again. Period one, we'd start, we could be halfway through the practice, and we'd be out there practicing even longer. And, you know, we'd complain about it. And then we had coaches that came in and told us about, you know, when they were coaching with him at Miami or played for him at Miami, one time they had a bad spring game. They all got on the bus, went back to school, back to UM from the Orange Bowl, and in the locker room, he gave them a butt chewing, and then he proceeded to get them back on the bus and replay the spring game. They drove all the way back out to the Orange Bowl and replayed the spring game. So cutting corners was not tolerated. Um, yeah, and you can imagine after a spring game and you're cramping up and you're exhausted and you got to go back and play it again because he wasn't happy with the effort that was put out during that game. So that was one of the big lessons I learned 
Um, and, you know, football teaches a lot of lessons that a lot of other team sports do, but I think it's unique in the physical toughness you have to have to compete in it. And that physical toughness, a lot of it comes mentally as well. You have to push through constantly being hurt. There's a difference between being hurt and being injured. And you have to constantly push through. Um, and it's tough. A uh, big lesson, another big lesson for me was always finding ways to improve and getting out of your comfort zone. You know, the best coaches always find something to critique. And I can remember sitting in the meeting room and you think you did great and you scored well. And, but they find something else to, crit, to critique you on. And that's a way to get, keep you from getting complacent. Um, and it's frustrating at the time, but it's a way to keep you moving forward and keep improving. And that um, keeping me out of my comfort zone, I think that led to me being able mentally to pursue the career that I wanted to pursue because I loved Daytona. I loved being at home with my family when I graduated. I loved working at the sheriff's office. I loved coaching at Mainland. And I gave all that up to move to another state to be a federal air marshal and travel all over the world. And that was a huge step for me. And that was tough. And I don't know if I could have done that if I was, uh, you know, in my comfort zone the entire time uh, throughout my life. Um, and one thing a lot of people, um, I think, miss about your time playing football is the takeaways that you that you get as far as leadership that a lot of times you don't even realize. Uh, I, I had a lot of great coaches, just and we had some of the same coaches that were great leaders and had different styles of leadership. And I think I took away a little bit from each of those leaders and I've incorporated that into my own leadership style. And there's a lot of parallels between my career and football. It's, it's a team thing. And while you may be working as a team to get a first down or to score on a last, uh, last second drive to win a game in law enforcement, you got to work as a team. And if you don't, people could die. Uh, so it's, you know, I took a lot away, a lot away from football in those areas and doing the right thing as well. I mean, there's the number one thing in law enforcement is integrity and doing the right thing and doing the right thing when it's tough. And, you know, I only played for coach Stanley at mainland for one year because he left when I was a freshman. I don't know if you remember him, but he had coach Wilson um, when he became head coach reinstituted two words that coach Stanley used to say all the time, do right. And it's, it's really, really simple. And then finally, decisiveness. Um, and we see this all the time in the coaching profession. You have to take the information you have at that time and make the best decision you can make at that time. And then you have to own it. And hindsight's always twenty twenty, but you've got to make that decision. You have to own it. And most times as a leader, that means when it goes well, you got to give credit to others. And when it goes badly, you got to take all the blame. So uh, those are a lot of the lessons that I think have served me very well uh, from my football career into my professional career. I want to try to summarize that in saying that, uh, you know, we talk about on this show that football is a microcosm of life. So a lot of the questions I ask people, I try and draw parallels to life and whatever it is they do and what they learn through football and how it relates. And if I could summarize what you just said, I think 
that it's a it's a matter of proactivity or you know a proactive person versus a reactive person. There are there are two types of people if we think simple, and you're one or the other. If you're a reactive person, you're always going to find someone else to place the blame on. You're you're going to be okay with being stagnant or complacent. Um, you're gonna you're gonna find fault with everything instead of. A, a way out or an answer or a solution to this problem, even though it may not be the best solution. It's what it's the hand you're given. You're playing the hand you're dealt, which is what you said. So again, it's, it's the proactive versus the reactive and you have a choice every day. And I think a lot of that is learned through football or sport or anything that involves a team or a group, group of people that have a common goal and they can only get to that goal with each other. Um, so again, that's football. <laughs> We have some exciting news. Fourth Down Focus is partnering with PlayActionPools.com. This season, they bring some interactive fun to the sport we love most. You'll be able to get in on the action with our football pick'em challenge, which is open to everyone. Here's how it works. You sign up for our Believe Football Pick'em Contest at PlayActionPools.com and get your picks in each week. We'll select the 10 highest profile NFL and college football games of the week. Whoever gets the most picks correct each week will win a pair of electric sunglasses and DC shoes. Again, go to playactionpools.com and sign up for the contest Believe. That's B-L-E-A-V, football pick'em. And if you plan on hosting your own football contest, go to playactionpools today. They've got Survivor, Pick'em, as well as cool sportsbook-style concept called Build Your Bankroll. Playactionpools.com, your new home for all your office sports pools. Now back to the show. Okay, so you played football at the Mainland High School, uh, which is also my alma mater, Buck Pride Never Dies, and that is located in Daytona Beach, Florida. Uh, you then went unsigned with Lindenwood University after your senior season. You spent a year at Lindenwood before transferring to FAU, which was right near me at the U in Miami, so that's where we hung out a little bit, um, and you ended your playing career there, and like most, um, it didn't end the way you wanted it to. So can you share a little bit about your college career uh, and having to step away from the game sooner than planned, perhaps a lesson or two learned from this adverse experience? Yeah. So enjoy the ride and the time you have, right? I mean, these are things that that coaches pound into your head when you're younger, but you don't really understand it until you're older. Uh, And Lundy, you had a similar circumstance in your playing career ending. So you know what I'm talking about here. Uh, Absolutely. My playing career, much like yours, was cut short by injury. And I don't think even hindsight being 2020, there's much I could have done to extend my time as a player. But to this day, some of my most vivid dreams that I have are getting another opportunity to play college football. And I'm 40 years old and I still think about it a lot when you're going through the long days, especially when you get to the college level with the 5 a.m. workouts and then you're taking a shower and going directly to class and then you're going to class until 2 p.m. meetings and film study and then you're on the practice field until dark and you go grab a bite to eat and go back to the dorm and try to get some rest and do it all over again. Just remember, it's not going to last forever. One day it's going to end and enjoy it while it lasts. And the same applies to coaching. You know, I, I loved coaching the opportunity that Coach Moranto gave me at Mainland for those, those five years I coached there. And I had to leave that to pursue my career. And the lack of time I have now, I'm not able to do it anymore. And I missed it daily, especially during football season. 
it's a grind while you're doing it, but you're going to miss it when it's over. So take advantage of the time you do have. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't even know where to start, but I will say that it's, we talked the other day and when you talk about vivid dreams and I'm 39, I mean, like I'm a year behind you, like I mentioned on the, on the show. Uh, I, I never really have good ones either. It's not good, vivid dreams. It's usually a bad, vivid dream. It's usually uh, what some people call a nightmare because it's just, it's something that I feel was taken from me, you know, and, and I, and I clearly love this thing so much. I'm still involved with it. And the only reason I'm, I'm coaching is because of Freddie Capshaw. And you mentioned him earlier, the punter at Miami, who was my roommate, you know, just basically ripped me out of bed one day and said, you're coming to this Sunday event. There's high school kids that need coaching and you're, you're a great coach. You helped me in practice. And I wanted, I wanted nothing to do with the game because this is fresh after I, I decided to step away from the game because my third injury and uh, I didn't want to go. And, but you're right, Tom, it's like, there is something special about not being able to do it more. It's the closest thing to doing it, I guess, is coaching. Right. And I know that's cliche to say, but it's true. And I didn't think that was going to be good enough, but having experienced it for the first time as a 20 year old, I fell in love with it because I knew I could, I could make a difference and, um, and I'm still doing it today. So I can't thank you enough for sharing. That's a tough thing to talk about. I don't like talking about it. And most people don't know I, how my, my uh, career ended um, because I don't like to talk about it, but you know, I, I need to start talking about it more because it's, it, it, it comes to all of us. And unfortunately uh, it, it's often too soon because um, it's a violent game and and things happen. So I want to shift the focus to something a little more positive. Uh, you mentioned earlier, and you've been around Howard Schnellenberger, John Marantos. Like these are arguably the most legendary names at their respective levels, um, especially you talk about Florida and Ohio, John Maranto. Um, and Schnellenberger is a national name. He's a household name. But uh, there is something special to be said about a player and a coach relationship. It's not just me and you that get a lot out of coaching, but the players, it's, it, it, it's sometimes a second father or a, a surrogate uncle. You know, um, you played for some, some of these legendary coaches and maybe they were assistant coaches. But could you tell me more importantly, um, who was impactful to you uh, as a coach and, and what did you take away from from these impactful coaches? Oh, man. There were a lot of coaches, um, even some that I spent short periods of time with that you may not think I took away something from. I took away a lot. Uh, as you mentioned, starting with Coach Moranto at Mainland and how well-respected he is, even around the country with his, you know, speaking at clinics and forums and such. I learned a lot of the offensive game planning from him. Terry Anthony, you know, all-American at Florida State, part of the Fab Four, played in the NFL. He's an institution at Mainland. He's still there. And uh, it, amazing. Uh, he's, he was one of my biggest influences when it, as, it, as it relates to coaching style, receiver skills, the passing game, and, and coaching the why. I, I listened to the episode with DJ, and you guys talked about that. And that, that was big with Coach Anthony. Um, you know, and, and I learned that from him, and that resonated with me as a player, too, is knowing the why of why we were doing things. Uh, Coach Wilson, I didn't play for him, but coaching with him and playing with him, he just made it fun. You know, he made it fun. He could, he could connect with players. He had a knack for that. And most of the fun came at the expense of Danny Stein, but, you know, <laughs> uh, 
who was also a great coach, yeah. but and really could connect with players. Uh, but these guys could have been coaching at any level of football they wanted to. And they stayed at Mainland because they loved Mainland. And they were 100% committed to excellence there, which is why that program has been a powerhouse for decades in the state of Florida. And, you know, short time at Lindenwood, but I played for a head coach named Dan Kratzer, and my position coach was Alexander Wright. They both played in the NFL. Alexander Wright was the NFL's fastest man. Uh, he had that title. There were uh, I played. Larry Seipel was my offensive coordinator at FAU. He played for the undefeated Dolphins team for Coach Stellenberger. Those guys were great players, coaches. They really connected with the players well, and I loved playing for them. And then you you had the other side of the spectrum, which was Coach Stellenberger. He was tough, man. Everybody knows him. Uh, he was in the NFL for a long time. He was part of that undefeated Dolphins team as the as the offensive coordinator, won a national championship with your school, with the U, when they were close to ending their program, brought that program back. He was tough. He was meticulous. Uh, same with Coach Roberts, who was my tight ends coach there at FAU. I think I learned the most playing tight end uh, about playing the position of tight end from him. And he was a part of the Cowboys teams during their 90s Super Bowls playing for Jimmy Johnson. So it's funny how you get all these coaches and come from coaching trees. And not only are you learning lessons from them, but you're learning lessons from the, the coaches that they coached for and played for. And then, you know, uh, coach Fred O'Connor at FAU is another one. Wasn't my position coach, uh, but he was an NFL assistant coach and, and he was a head coach of the 49ers as well. And he was the receivers coach at FAU. He coached, legends like Walter Payton in the NFL, you know, ton of experience. And he was tough, but he had to have a, he seemed to have a knack for saying the exact right thing at the exact right time to motivate players. And uh, that's something else I took away from him because a lot of this is a psychology game. What motivates different people at different times. And I took a lot of those things away from my time as a player and a coach and I think that's helped me immensely in my position currently. Amen. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I've shared a number of coaches, like you mentioned earlier, we've, we've, we've shared a number and there, and there's been, because we went on different paths and we're different people. Um, I met different ones. And so did you, I never, unfortunately, I never got to play for a Howard Schnellberger, but being a Miami hurricane, um, you heard often about him and what he did and what he started and what he had to go through. You mentioned earlier about handling adversity and never looking back and, and accepting challenges and, and, and drawing from others to, 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 to become like-minded and, and work with you in the same direction. Uh, the university of Miami would not have existed without your coach and Howard Schnellberger at FIU, at FAU when you were there. Um, and just a few that stand out to me is Chuck Pagano, he was my Howard Schnellenberger. You know, he was he uh, Chuck Strong. I know he's retired now, but he was with the Colts and people should know Chuck. Chuck, uh, he he would tell me some things that I've never heard before when I didn't do well for him. You know, like we'll give you a good example. I didn't do something very well at Rutgers one time. It was a Thursday night game. My granddad was in the stands and there was no one there because it was Rutgers and we were beating the crap out of him. And I did something. I spotted the ball incorrectly on a kickoff. It was like out of the zone slightly. 
and we were up by like 60 and he asked butch davis if if there was an, an alternate like plane i could take you know home he's like i don't want to be in the same plane as him and that hurt you know that stung and he meant it you could tell he was like get away from you disgust me like and I don't know, I guess it was his way, but I think it's important to be exposed to a lot of different leadership, quote unquote, styles. That didn't resonate with me, but it motivated me. I didn't want that to happen again. I don't think that's the most effective way in talking to a player, but I like what you said is uh, another important part about this whole thing with the player coach relationship is you don't have to love all of your coaches, but you can learn from all of them. Um, so that was my favorite thing that you said was you, you, you took something from everything and it doesn't always have to be positive because you you formulated your leadership style um, through all of these leadership styles. And sometimes it was like, I definitely don't want to do that. It's not always, I want to do this. I want to do this. It's uh, sometimes you learn what you don't want to do. Absolutely. I mean, I think some of the, even some of the best coaches I've had, I, I didn't necessarily agree with their leadership style. I did learn from them. Um, and I did take great things away from them. Maybe when it comes to scheme, or how to teach certain things, but then left some other things to the side that I did not enjoy as far as their leadership style. But then again, I think um, that's part that goes back into the philosophy of sometimes you got to use those, those strategies with certain players because different things motivate different people. You got to figure out, you got to know your players and anybody that you're leading in life, you got to know what motivates them. And then you have to use the tactics to motivate them to get the best out of them. I couldn't agree more. Uh, and a good example of that is your Nick Sabans and your Urban Myers. Uh, they, they do what I call differentiated instruction or delivery of instruction. I should say they know how to say something, when to say something, the frequency in which to say something to each individual person. And it starts with the recruiting. I think they learn about the individual off the field in the recruiting process. So they know how to coach them on the field. And that's why they separate themselves. In my opinion, it's much more than schematics and X's and O's and the things that are also hard, you know, fil film breakdown and, and game plan or adjustments at halftime. But I think it comes down to the psychology at some point when you're splitting hairs. Uh, so I want to shift the focus to time. You mentioned it earlier, and I want to just stress to everyone listening that time is a resource. It's not a commodity because time can't be sold, but it also can't be replaced. You mentioned in pre-recording that football helped teach you the importance of taking advantage of every second. Can you explain this a little more? Yeah. One of the biggest lessons I learned over the years playing football is make sure you don't have regrets and take advantage of that time. Don't stay in your comfort zone. And one of the things that probably resonates a lot with your audience is as far as special teams, you know, a lot of us get our start in football by being noticed on special teams, wherever you get an opportunity. Now, you know, we played at schools that really valued special teams and put their best athletes on those squads. However, they also mixed in younger kids as well that they thought had potential to see how they'd react. So when you get an opportunity, don't think the eyes aren't on you because they are. Take advantage of it. I mentioned earlier about the vivid dreams I still have about getting opportunities to play. And I'll be out on a football field in full pads getting ready to practice. And then somebody walks up to me and says, you don't have any more eligibility. And while you don't, you know, while I don't think there's much I could have done to extend my playing career, I still have that regret like we discussed earlier. And my goal is to not have that feeling about other things in my life. Mm. And that's part of the reason why I left Daytona and did my best to progress in my career to this point 
I feel like without football, I might not have had that drive to continually improve and move on from where I was. So uh, that has served me very well. It's transferred to my career. Um, and it comes down to small things like back to taking advantage of opportunities. In college, I took an internship, an unpaid internship with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. And I think it was like you're supposed to do 20 hours a week, you know, for a month or something. I stayed there all summer long working 40 hours a week just because I, I wasn't getting paid. I already met the requirement for the internship credit, but I wanted to soak in as much knowledge as I could yeah. and make as many contacts as I could to help me later in life. And to this day, I still have friends that have either retired from there that I still talk to or who are still active agents there that I still talk to to this day. And we still help each other out when we can. And uh, things like that are things I took away from football. And I just want to stress it. It's not just football, but, but football is something that we share. And it's the subject matter that this show um, is around. Um, I think sports, I think that there, there are a number of things or ways to find uh, practice to, and how to working with people. You know, and I just want to stress that, you know, we don't fully we don't expect everyone in the show to listen to play football because it makes you a better person. But challenge yourself to do things that are, that are going to strengthen your ability uh, to work with people, to, to plan, to, to handle adversity. It could be a simple breathing class on YouTube for five minutes to how to regulate your, your heart rate so you can make better decisions. Um, my, what I'm getting at is time and how you talk about it reminds me a lot of who you mentioned earlier in Ricardo Allen. One of my favorite quotes I've ever heard, and I use it sometimes, um, is we all have the same 24. And he says that to me whenever we talk, it's just something he likes to tell me and remind me. He's like, we all have the same 24. And what he's reminding me is like, if anyone ever tells you, makes you feel a certain kind of way, uh, don't, don't envy them. I love that. That's his message. Don't envy people. Um, look at it. Like you're in the same situation that they may be attacking this differently than you and maybe better than you, maybe more efficiently than you. And what it sounds like you did and a good example of it was, although you had fulfilled the requirements for some credit, you know, people that aren't proactive, they're not going to go the extra mile and say, well, I still have stuff to learn. I still have people to meet. I want to establish a relationship with all of these people so they know that I'm reliable if I want to come back to this environment and work one day. Um, and to me, that is thinking we all have the same 24. I'm just going to take full advantage of mine. I'm not, I have no excuses. So this is all relatable. And I really cannot thank you enough for joining the show. And I ask my guests always to, if there's a way someone may want to reach out to you, is there a way you could offer? I know you're, you're limited as a federal agent, but if, if there's any way they could connect with you, how, how would it be? Yeah, just due to the nature of my job, um, I, I'm not very active on social media. Uh, but I, I think the best way to reach me individually would be just to search my name, Tom Sylvester, on LinkedIn. You'll find me. I'm the only postal inspector on LinkedIn with that name. And uh, it, it, also for your audience, if they have any questions about the agency or have any issues where they need to contact us, they can always go to our website, which is www.uspis.gov. Thank you so much, Tom. It means a lot to everyone at Fourth Down Focus that you were able to share information that can and will benefit performance uh, both on and off the field. Please give us a five-star rating, a review, subscribe to the show, and share it with a friend. 
If you have questions related to the podcast or suggestions for future topics or guests, uh, you can reach me, Dan Lundy, in several ways. My website, Fourth Down U, has endless resources for specialists and coaches. And on social media, my Instagram and Twitter is at Fourth Down U. And on Facebook and LinkedIn, you can find me by simply searching Dan Space Lundy, L U N D Y. Thanks again for joining us at Fourth Down Focus, presented by Bet Online. We'll see you next week with an exciting new guest. I hope 2021 is treating each of you well. And remember, in all things, give thanks. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.